Every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m., WRFL invites you to office hours, real-world conversations with UK professors. No appointment necessary. Representing the 16 colleges across campus, Office Hours brings professors from every corner of UK to share their adventures in academia. Go beyond the syllabus and learn more about the people behind the research. We'll be demystifying higher education one interview at a time. Stop by every Wednesday afternoon. Office Hours is available online via wrfl.fm or on the airwaves on 88.1 FM, Radio Free Lexington. Hello, welcome to Office Hours on 88.1 WRFL, Radio Free Lexington. I'm your host, Sarah Schutze, here with Boardmaster Brian connors Minky. Hi, Brian. Hey. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually here. I'm not just the man behind the curtain. <laughs> we have two exciting guests with us today, Stan Brunn, Professor Stan Brunn, and um, Associate Dean... Peter Barris? Mm-hmm. Retired. Retired. Nice. Retired. <laughs> it's an important Retired. detail. Retired. Retired too. Very. This makes uh, life much more, right, much more interesting. Okay. Um, would you mind just both of you introducing yourselves? Tell us a little bit about yourselves, your areas of interest. I'm Peter, Peter Barris, and I um, recently, four years ago, retired from the University of Kentucky. <clears throat> I was the assistant dean uh, in the College of Health Sciences on the medical center side. Uh, and I also taught in political science department for 45 years, I believe, still teaching there. Um, and since I've retired, I've been uh, traveling a lot um, to particularly Southeast Asia and more recently to Cuba. Uh, I've taken two groups of medical students and faculty to Cuba in the last two years. In the year prior to that, I went to uh, Cuba as a member of a legal delegation. So um, I've been traveling and teaching and paying attention to Cuba in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm Stan Brunn from the Geography Department, and I retired at the end of June last year, and I've taught at UK since 1980, and before that I taught at Michigan State University for 11 years, the University of Florida for three years before that, and when I was at Florida, that's how I became interested in the Caribbean. I had an eight-week travel um, research program and visited probably about 20 islands in the Caribbean. My goodness. Cuba was off limits at that time, but mm-hmm. you could fly over it and see if it was pink or red. <laughs> uh, people thought it was at that time. Um, I've taught classes on cities of the world. Um, I've traveled extensively in Asia, Central Asia, Europe, um, probably about 70 different countries. Oh my goodness. So um, a lot of experiences. Yeah. Shaking a lot of hands and um, have a lot of friends. That's a good way to end that introduction. It's great. So both of you have done a great deal of traveling, and you're both, even though you're retired, you're both involved in teaching still. Mm-hmm. And what brings you here today is you have collaborated on a very interesting class. Um, would you like to, one of you like to talk about what the class is and what's well, unique about it? Well, Stan and I started <clears throat> talking about our mutual interest in Cuba a couple of years ago. And we began pretty pretty quickly to try to put together a course. Um, and last year, I don't recall the reason, but uh, there were reasons that, that it just didn't materialize. And so we immediately uh, kind of planned on this year, and it looks like uh, everything is set up. We had no idea, of course, that uh, this would be such a historic moment for mm-hmm. us to take students uh, to Cuba. And um, so we, we've set this up, and it's an interdisciplinary course. Stan is, um, is from the geography department. I'm 
uh, offering my course through the political science department. And yet, um, and I think the title of the course suggests what I want to say here, Uh, it's politics, culture, and society. And uh, our intention is not to limit this just just to a geographic or political point of view. Uh, we, We feel like our interests are experience our expertise is far broader than just our disciplinary mm-hmm. boundaries. So we're, we will intend to learn as much about Cuba as we can possibly learn history, politics, culture, geography, uh, foreign policy, it, virtually everything that we can learn. Uh, the course will encompass all those different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I think there are three, three pluses for this course and this program. One is the fact that as Peter just said, we come from different disciplines, but we share a lot of overlapping interests. And I think that students will see that during the course of the you know, pre-Cuba visit and the, and the Cuban visit while we're there. So I think that interdisciplinary um, support for learning about this region is, is very important. Mm-hmm. Second, I think we're going to be listening to people in Cuba, from Cuba, talking about Cuba. So it's not the fact we're going there just to deliver a bunch of lectures. We're going to be listening to people, talking with people, and I think getting their point of view, listening how, how they look at their own world, how they see the changes taking place. And third, I would say, is that the places we plan to visit, we, we are, we're trying to schedule a visit to places where I think their students will find it interesting, mm-hmm. museums, um, legislature, hospitals, universities, mm-hmm. elementary schools, um, agricultural cooperatives, uh, churches, uh, markets, and a baseball game. <laughs> of course. And Sarah, I'd just add that the course is scheduled for the first summer session this year, uh, mm-hmm. so the May term of 2015, and we will spend about two of those four weeks in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Two of those four weeks mm-hmm. actually in Cuba, mm-hmm. and that's in the middle of the class? Or is it is. Um, so we'll have some work to do, some preparation readings and so forth to do in the first week. And then mm-hmm. when we get back, we'll, uh, students will be involved as, in some sort of project. And we're pretty open to, the, uh, to, to what that might look like. Uh, we want students to do something that's meaningful to them, to their major, perhaps to their career uh, plans. And so we're, we're, we're going to try to be as creative as possible, allow people to uh, collect their impressions and the knowledge that, they, that they've gathered in some sort of a way that expresses um, uh, their their feelings and their thoughts and 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 perhaps uh, prepares them for another class or for a career. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. I'm sorry. Stan. I think that I think the students who the students who go and the non-students who go will really be pioneers, and I think that's an important point for um, any student who wants to make a request for money from mother's father's lottery or grandparents or somebody else is we're going to be the first UK students going there. Next year they're not going to be pioneers or the year after they won't be pioneers but they're going to be you know the first cut of those going and they'll remember that and they can always put that on a resume say I was a pioneer in Cuba for you know four weeks or two weeks in in summer 2015 and that speaks well and I would hope that parents would support their kids interested in, in learning about Cuba going to Cuba um, some might have financial concerns. If that's a well, contact your uncles and aunts and grandparents, and I'm not advocating spending money in the lottery, but you may want to consider <laughs> that as well. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Luckily, it's early enough now to to it get. It is. To talk I think about. the uh, the deadline will be March first. Uh, I'm going mm-hmm. to encourage people who have any interest at all 
to go ahead and get registered on the International Study Abroad website. Mm-hmm. Um, my guess is, um, and I have no no reason to believe this other than my gut feeling, is that this will be over-demanded. Mm-hmm. And so getting your uh, registration in early and getting set up uh, well prior to March 1st would would increase your chances of being able to go. And you know, and Spanish, Spanish is not required, okay. um, although Spanish may be desirable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could help others practice your Spanish. You could help others who do not have a, a knowledge of Espanol. So that'll be, that could be an asset. And for those who are Hispanic majors or minors or come into the university with Spanish in high school, this would be another golden opportunity to use your language. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are there, so you said there's no language requirement for people to sign up for this. Is there other, other kinds of expectations that students will will know something about Well, I um, Cuba. let me uh, just say about the language. Um, in my, I guess, four trips now to Cuba, uh, I've been blessed with some incredible interpreters uh, and guides, and they are plentiful in Cuba because so many Cubans speak English very, very well. Um, and so uh, we'll work with, uh, with uh, interpreters. Uh, what they, the students will find is that a lot of the presenters, who will be historians, uh, former diplomats, uh, cooperative presidents, uh, physicians, and so forth, are extremely, extremely uh, not only knowledgeable but but speak English very, very well. So I'm going to guess that probably only a fourth of what we hear uh, will come through uh, the Spanish language, and the rest will be already presented in English. Mm. That's good to know for people who might mm-hmm. be hesitant to. Immerse it it shouldn't be a hesit- yeah. hesitancy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's absolutely no problem with it. Um, the other thing I might say about the course uh, is that it's unlike the, the delegations I've been on, which have been very, very focused um, initially on the legal uh, system, the court system, the Supreme Court, and the relationship between the court system and the political system and so forth, um, the others have been medically oriented. And so we have been, uh, by licensure, uh, limited to the Havana and maybe a day west or a day east of Havana. And, and it's all because of the way the licensure requires uh, so many educational hours per day, which prohibits you from sitting on a bus for five or six hours going somewhere because you, you have to make that educational. And all this had to be submitted to the Treasury Department in the United States for approval prior to, to getting permission. Um, this this trip will, will traverse the entire island. So we will land in Havana and we will spend some time around the Havana area and then we will bus uh, to the center of uh, Cuba uh, and spend some time there and then we'll bus down to the southeast uh, corner almost to where Gitmo is located and um, and then we'll fly out of, uh, of uh, the southeast corner of Cuba. So this will be my first opportunity to see the entire mm-hmm. island um, and I'm very, very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So you you have had quite a good amount of travel there, as much as anyone could expect. Uh, I, I guess so. It, it, you know, four <laughs> trips makes you an mm-hmm. expert these days yeah, on right. Cuba. So, it's a small space, right? uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it's been it, it, because the licensure process has required an intense educational itinerary. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned more in the two week, four two week trips I've taken to Cuba mm-hmm. than I've probably learned about anything in any two week period. And uh, now it's getting a little uh, 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 repeated for me, but um, I still um, 
in learning new things, even if the focus is on the healthcare system two or three times in a row, I still learn a great deal more each time I go. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is an opportunity for me to see things and to learn things uh, and to put some geographic uh, place to these historical events and personalities that I'm, I'm familiar with throughout the island. Mm -hmm. And had the class, when you were dreaming up what your ideal version of this class would be, had you always thought of it as a summer session course, kind of a condensed, um, accelerated sort of course? Would it work as a semester-long course? Not, not yet, and the main reason is expense. Uh, Cuba is an expensive place to go. Uh, I think a lot of Americans find that to be a little bit odd, but they run two currency systems, one for the Cubans, uh, pesos, and then they have a, uh, a different peso uh, for any international visitors, the Canadians, the Europeans, the Americans, anyone else who is not Cuban. And so that second currency uh, jacks the prices up for everything. So you can sit in a restaurant and eat black beans and rice and pay uh, 250 uh, as an American or a European, and the, the uh, Cuban sitting next to you will have the same dish for 25 cents. So uh, it, is, it is fairly expensive as far as what one would expect from a poor country. You would think that everything would be, and it is very inexpensive, but um, uh, I think given what people would expect, lack of Sheratons and Marriott's and lack of Starbucks and McDonald's and all those kinds of things, one would expect beans and rice and uh, transportation and, and fairly aged vehicles would be very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. But it's... it's, sure. it's um, I, th I think the, the total price we're calculating for students from basically Lexington to uh, Cuba and back to Lexington is going to come in around $5,000 for a two-week experience. Okay. But the students get seven credits. Seven credits for this. That's amazing. They get seven credits, amazing. which is a real bargain, yeah. I think. And um, as Peter said, we've tried to get this program going for the past several years and not had success for a variety of reasons. And if we're oversubscribed this year, there may be one another session next summer. There may be one during the winter break sometime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've looked at winter break. We looked at spring yeah. break. But yeah. spring break um, is difficult because I wouldn't personally want to go for less than two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so if you limit to spring break, you're looking at one week. Now, I'm working in a medical center to establish an ongoing uh, spring break experience for uh, health, human health science majors in the College of Health Sciences to go to Cuba only for spring break. And that, that'll be um, uh, for a week to eight or nine, ten days. Um, so we're going to have to abbreviate it to accommodate that, uh, that program or that college. But yeah. that has a more concentrated focus. Yes, than yeah. I'm sorry, sorry. Yes, it'd be very concentrated on health care. I think another point is that the students who go this year are going to see Cuba basically as, as it is. Mm -hmm. You know, in two or three years, there could be more Sheraton hotels and Starbucks and McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and new vehicles and everything else, which sort of be a contaminated landscape as opposed to the landscape, which has basically sort of been frozen in many ways for the past several decades. So that's another good reason to kind of go before it really becomes completely, um, you know, Americanized or Western Hemispherizedized. I think that's that's another good reason to, to consider going at this time. You know, the country's changing. I mean, every almost every day there's something in the news about Cuban-American relations improving. And I think many of the people who may have been initially opposed to it now are saying, well, you know, I want to have a business, and sure, I'm going to export my product there. I want to have the product made there. Um, so I think there are many more people who are on board now than maybe even were 
a couple of decades or a couple of weeks ago, even politicians, I think first they were sort of, well, we don't want to do it because of the Cuban vote in, in Miami, but the Cuban vote in Miami is very split between the elders and the youth. Mm-hmm. So this is going to happen quickly. So get in, get in on this yeah. program now yeah. to really witness, uh, like you say, um, Peter, a moment in history. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> on, on that note, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Here on WRFL 88.1, Radio Free Lexington, and more with Office Hours. <laughs> Welcome back. We're talking today with Stan Brunn and Peter Barris, who are collaborating on a course called Cuban Politics, Society and Culture. It's a summer session course date running from May 12th Seven. to <laughs> May 12th to June 9th. Seven credits. Seven credits. <laughs> Seven credits. That's a, that's a bargain. Five, <laughs> five grand, but seven credits in four weeks. And um, the the class also, it's a study abroad course. So it's a summer session with a study abroad um, component embedded in it. And the, the trip goes to Cuba. And we've been talking about sort of the logistics of the course. But this conversation begs for a discussion of what's happening with Cuba right now, U.S.-Cuban relations. Earlier this month, Peter, uh, you wrote an op-ed um, on U.S.-Cuba relations as um, a response to what President Obama's uh, decision or announcement um, on December 17th, President Obama said, today the United States is changing its relationship with the people of Cuba. Can you tell us what, what he's talking about there? Um, well, he uh, campaigned initially with a uh, promise to, to look at the Cuba-American relationship and to improve it. Um, he's been relatively silent since he came into office. He did make some changes uh, in 2010 and 2011, which eased up some of the uh, 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 capacity for people to travel back and forth. Uh, it was also allowed for the first time to fly from the United States directly into Havana. Now, even prior to that, even if you, you were with a licensed uh, uh, carrier, uh, you would still have to fly to Mexico or Canada and then into uh, to Havana, even though you were approved to go officially by the American government. So there are very small steps, and I personally have been very disappointed in those small steps, expecting a great deal more. But I also, as a political scientist, understand how powerless a president is. And uh, so it, it hasn't surprised me that he's not been able to move more uh, uh, dramatically on any of these fronts. Um, but it, it appears to me that he has adopted an attitude kind of broadly, but specific, specifically on Cuba, to accomplish as much as he can in the next two years. So I, I personally uh, champion this effort. Uh, I think it's without question the right decision. I think it will uh, embellish his legacy uh, in the long run. And five years, 10 years from now, people wonder why it took till 2015 to do anything about this. The relationships have been long, go- long running. We, the United States was in and out of Cuba throughout our history. Uh, we supported various people, sometimes the leftists and most often the right uh, wing uh, military and civilian dictators. Uh, our our presence was probably more um, uh, negative than positive over those years. But throughout most of our, our history, uh, American presidents have been interested in trying to buy Cuba. So it began with Thomas Jefferson, and it went through basically the 19th century, Presidents Buchanan, Pierce, Polk all attempted to purchase Cuba. 
Uh, we enacted any number of uh, legislations over the years that uh, claimed that we had sovereignty or we had the right to intervene. And so you can look through, you know, various amendments and resolutions uh, in the American Congress that kept reaffirming that if we choose, we, we have the right, because they're in our hemisphere, uh, to intervene and to make changes in Cuba. Um, the, the, the official embargo really began, I guess, with President Eisenhower in 1959, where he uh, initially um, set up uh, to embargo arms trade, and that was um, because the, the revolution was in full swing uh, from the mid-50s, and I think his concern was too many arms going to Cuba getting to revolutionaries or perhaps even to the, the government, which was uh, deemed to be quite brutal and corrupt. Um, and then John Kennedy um, institutionalized the, the larger, the more comprehensive embargo in 1962 uh, that ended all trade between uh, the, two, the two countries. 1962, um, uh, the Soviets were coming into Cuba. We were afraid uh, for, for that scenario. Um, missiles came in, obviously, and we had the crisis, missile crises in 62. Um, so the embargo was established, and basically it has been unchanged since then, except that it has been strengthened from one president to another. There have been presidents, Clinton for one, who wanted to make some changes and just found himself politically hemmed in. There's just no way he had the, uh, the power uh, to do anything about it. So um, this, is, this is 55 years in the making. Uh, it has not worked. Uh, what President uh, Obama said last night at the State of the Union is absolutely correct. It's a totally failed policy. My, my issue with the policy is not that it um, uh, ended um, trade necessarily, but that the policy uh, hurt the Cuban people. It did not hurt the Cuban government. In fact, as I said in the editorial, the Cuban government was strengthened by the policy because any flaw they had, any mistake they made, they could blame it on the embargo. So um, uh, it's, it's the longest running, ineffective, counterproductive, foreign policy in American history. <laughs> so it is it's certainly about time. Uh, it's interesting that the argument will be in, in Congress that, uh, that the United States has given up too much to Cuba and Cuba's gaining, gaining everything and we're not getting anything out of it. And I, I absolutely disagree with that. The Cubans uh, are going to gain probably a lot less than we will. Uh, and first and foremost, among what the things we will gain will be our international reputation and hopefully uh, be able to resurrect that internationally and particularly in Central and South America where it's been absolutely damaged by uh, our policies towards Cuba and has isolated us from many other governments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's what you asked. Absolutely. <laughs> it is. It's I, I would support him saying I think that it's, it's long overdue and it took guts to do it and I think the, the consequence results are going to be becoming apparent increasingly in the coming year, coming months. And I think, as I said a few minutes ago, I think with each passing day, each passing month, more people are going to see this as something which is long, long, long overdue, not only between you know, Dade County, Florida, and, and Cuba, but also um, U.S., our Central American neighbors, our Caribbean neighbors. Uh, for a long time in teaching about you know, this region of the world, I would talk about someone's going to buy Cuba, and maybe, maybe the Cubans will, will buy and invest in Cuba, which is okay, but... There's, there's, it's not going to be always smooth. There are going to be some bumps along the way and some hiccups along the way. Uh, but I think in the long run, it'll, it'll be beneficial for, for everybody. So let's just um, 
watch and wait and mm -hmm. see what happens. Mm -hmm. And really students, and I think students are, they're going to see this. You know, their their memory of Cuba is different from their parents and probably from their grandparents. And their parents and grandparents may not agree with them if they want to go. But I think you know that's it's it's a different world, and I think that the youth in many cases are having a fresh look at international relations today, and that's all to the good. I went to Martin Luther King um, events on on Monday, and again, it's it's the youth who are sort of changing the course for the better, and I'm very proud of that. Mm -hmm. I was a youth at one time, but now I can. Watch them. Watch them with great interest and support. Well, speaking of, of your youth and, and people's memory of Cuba, if you wouldn't mind talking about your own memories of, of turning point moments. Well, I think Peter sort of uh, mentioned this already. I think when this happened in 57, um, people thought, well, this, this is a communist taking over an island and kicking out a friend who was a strong supporter of the United States. But this person was really cruel. We have a long history supporting people that are I would not invite to lunch. <laughs> you know, they're, um, they're they're cruel. They're brutal. Yeah. They don't care about anybody except themselves. And it doesn't surprise me that that um, internal revolutions with support from the outside came to many Central and South American countries. You know, our record in the region is not exactly one of being a humane foreign policy. It's basically supporting a bunch of gangsters and, and cruel people who are interested in. in you know, killing priests and killing innocent people and raping women and closing down institutions. I mean, this is not something which I think something we can be proud of. So maybe we need to take a look at how this can be sort of a healing, a healing for all of us, healing for the foreign policy experts. They're going to learn about this too because they've been taught one thing and now they're having to learn about something else. For the corporations that are going in, those who may be greedy, but those who may be also very humane, I think the education institutions have a major role in what we can learn and what we can benefit from this. Um, the media, I can envision all kinds of television programs, um, you know, hemispheric basketball, baseball, soccer events in which Cuba's included. Um, we already benefit a lot from their athletes, but now maybe some of our athletes can go there and play. I think for professors and students, I can see fashion shows, I can see mm -hmm. musical exhibits, I can see um, concerts. Um, I think the world is open in terms of being invited and them also being invited to, into our spaces. And that's all to the good. I was, um, <clears throat> I lived in, in Europe in the 1950s as, as a member of a military family and so my whole uh, consciousness for my first 10 years was based on this kind of polarized vision of the world, the communists versus us, good versus evil. And um, we lived very close to the so-called Iron Curtain that separated Western from Eastern Europe. And so I was, uh, I gazed upon the Iron Curtain any number of times. And wow. so the world was very, very simple. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side are the bad people and we are the good people. And when my father, uh, being a military officer, and his friends would get together, they would typically talk military talk and, and international relations, world politics, those kinds of things. We didn't talk wildcat basketball, those, those things <laughs> we didn't know anything about. And I remember them talking, so I was 10, and I remember them talking when the, the, the uh, revolution was coming to its peak in 1959 about that eventually we're going to have to fight Castro. And, uh, and, and as I listened, I, it was probably my first moment of political consciousness and, and interest. And um, the, the reason that we're going to have to fight Castro was reduced down to one thing. He's a communist. 
And I, you know, I kind of paid attention, and after that, I, I, I saw pictures and I read where I could, and I became enamored, like so many people my generation, with Che Guevara uh, as a revolutionary. And um, I, I began to wonder why that revolution was different than our own revolution. Um, and I saw so many parallels um, that I was pretty much in favor of the Cuban Revolution from the beginning. Uh, and part of that was probably trying to separate my, my opinions from my father and his, and his uh, cohort. Um, and then I wound up in 1968 in Vietnam, and I went believing that that was communism and that we were doing the world a great favor by, by trying to stop that. And in two months, I changed my mind about that as well, and I saw the Vietnamese experience as a, as a revolution uh, against foreign domination, and I realized immediately we were on the wrong side of history, and we were uh, against, standing against our own principles, self-determination, sovereignty, independence. Um, and so it was a real easy slide then to see Cuba in the same way. And um, so I've been interested. I know of the excesses. I know of the... Uh, the brutality, I know of the oppression uh, throughout the, especially the early years of the revolution. Um, but I also understand how revolutions go, and I also uh, appreciate how difficult it is for a peasant society to take on the world's most formidable uh, military presence in the United States. And so my empathy has been with Vietnam and it has been with Cuba ever since. Um, so, um, uh, so anyway, I, I guess I combine uh, the interest of a young kid who, whose focus was international relations uh, because of the, uh, the gift of my birth and uh, a layman's interest and also an academic interest. My area specialty has been revolutions, ideology, mm. comparative ideologies, uh, foreign policy, uh, particularly American foreign policy and so forth. So I, I come from it kind of as a, from a gut feeling, from an, an intellectual approach, uh, and now uh, some significant experiences. Great. We have to take a short break, sure. and we'll be back. And now more with Office Hours, the show that has the most um, grams of brain power available <laughs> on the station. <laughs> Welcome back to Office Hours. That's a, that's a tall order. On uh, 88.1 WRFL Radio Free Lexington. I'm your host, Sarah Schutze, and we're here with Stan Brunn and Peter Barris talking about Cuba and their summer course on Cuba. Um, if you would, just tell us, a little, let's get back to talking about the course a little bit. I'm sure we'll branch from there. But tell us what students can expect when they're in Cuba, what's going to be a typical day? What, where are they going to be staying? What will things be like? Well, uh, you have to start with the way the the, uh, the licensure system is set up, mm -hmm. and although things are changing, uh, and they've they've already changed slightly, um, Americans still are obliged to an educational experience, uh, predominantly an educational experience. Uh, that may change, and it will change uh, at some point. People will be able to go to Cuba and lay on a beach, drink uh, uh, rum drinks and smoke cigars, and, and vacation in the kind of the typical way that most people imagine a vacation. Um, but until that happens, uh, and I would recommend even after that happens that people approach Cuba from an, an, an educational experience. Um, so 
as a result, and I think this is a very positive thing, obviously, that uh, we will spend eight or nine hours basically doing educational things, and mm -hmm. that will include museums and, and historical sites and talking to people and and uh, visiting hospitals, pharmacies, uh, what, what, anything and everything that we can squeeze in. Um, we will begin each day with uh, reflection time where uh, we'll sit around and talk about what we experienced the previous day, what surprised us, what uh, challenged us, uh, what we expect of that day that, that we're uh, dawning, and uh, how our feelings are changing maybe overall, what, what has impacted us and so forth. So uh, we'll, we'll start with about an hour of that every day, and we'll have, I would guess, six to eight hours of formal uh, activities, and then uh, typically we'll s spend the evening also with some reflection. Um, the the evenings will be um, free uh, to to do what we want. We'll be moving around quite a bit. We'll be getting up early. <clears throat> we start our days early, and so uh, presumably most of that free time will be enjoying the surroundings that we're in, and then uh, getting to bed in time to to stay awake for the the following uh, uh, day and tour. Um, uh, we will um, have some readings prior to going, and so we'll use those as launching pads for some conversation and discussion. Um, but we'll be moving fairly quickly, and um, uh, we will be exposed to an awful lot of people and places in any given any given day. Um, so it's you know it, we have an itinerary already, and and um, I'm pretty familiar with where we're going and. And what they propose that we will be doing and seeing, and uh, it seems to me that it's it's the highlights of of what we want to know and learn about uh, in in terms of Cuba. So I'm very excited about the itinerary, um, and and I'm grateful that the licensure re requires us to to uh, to be educated and not just to relax and and uh, and and vacation uh, normally. Mm -hmm. I think it's like these. Students who are not only going to be pioneers, they're also going to be ambassadors. They're going to be ambassadors for UK. Mm -hmm. And I hope when they come back that you'll talk with some of them. I hope they'll have mm, them exhibits a great idea. in the library. Maybe KETV will interview them. Mm -hmm. um, I think alumni would be very interested in listening to them. Um, so I would hope that when they come back, they can be exploited for the good. Because you know they're a special group of you know 15, 16, 17 young people who are you know part of the future of the world and part of the future of this campus and country, and they can educate a lot of people who just are going to ask the, some of the same questions that you're asking us today, but they'll come back with some with some in-depth knowledge, you know, not perfect knowledge, not all knowledge, but knowledge that they can make some statements about what they're seeing and what they're hearing. Um, and I think we need to reward them and, and publicize this as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You've said that the students will be talking to people while they're in Cuba. Will the, are you thinking of just people they meet along the way, or do you have sort of scheduled opportunities for them to meet with Cubans and 
get Both. to know them. We have a very formal schedule, <clears throat> essentially seven to five every day. Uh, and so, so it, yeah, we, we're pretty, uh, pretty familiar with what we'll be doing. Uh, and so we know when we'll be talking to a historian or a diplomat or uh, whoever it might be. It's all scheduled. Teachers, professors, and so forth. And that scheduling is really done by the agency that has the license. They're the mm -hmm. only ones that can really make accommodations. Stan or I could not. Um, and this all has to be done through this process. Uh, in the evenings, um, y you will be able to talk to whoever you want to talk to. Um, and in the trips I've made in the past, we typically are done by 5 or 6 o'clock. And the students and uh, faculty have um, spent the, the rest of the evening up till midnight, uh, even beyond, uh, interacting with Cubans as they meet them. So uh, the, the, the uh, criticism I received initially when I came back pretty enthusiastically about what I had experienced was that uh, the Cuban government only allows you to see who they want you to see I and see. only allows you to hear what they've been brainwashed to say. And that is, that's just typical of the, of the closed-minded mm -hmm. and very, very narrow, narrow understanding of Cuba that, that Americans hold. It wasn't that way at all. And uh, I heard plenty of criticism about Cuba. I heard plenty of criticism about Castro himself, uh, and, but a lot more criticism about the American embargo and the way the United States has treated Cuba. And I would add that, uh, that all that criticism, and it came from officials, including a Supreme Court judge, uh, lawyers, professors, and so forth, law students, medical students, all that criticism uh, is without rancor towards the United States. And that's what has surprised me as much as any single thing about these, uh, these trips. Uh, I'm not unused to that. I, uh, as, a, as a veteran, I've returned to Vietnam eight or ten times in the last ten years. Oh, wow. And I've experienced the same thing. No one held the war against me as an individual. Every, all the, the criticism was directed mm -hmm. at the government, and so it is in Cuba. Mm -hmm. And I often wonder about that and wonder why the United States and American people cannot separate out governments from people. Uh, and I think we, we tend to hold anger towards an entire population that we've had some sort of conflict with, yeah. as opposed to saying, well, I can't hold against that person. They didn't make these decisions. Um, so you will hear criticism, uh, quite rightly. I mean, there, there's plenty of legitimate criticism to be made. I, sure. I'm the first one to admit that. But you also hear their pride. You also uh, uh, find maybe one of the strongest national identities of any population I've been exposed to. Um, and an honesty and a level of intelligence that supersedes virtually any other culture that I've visited. And like Stan, I've probably been in 60 to 70 countries. So um, it's a very, very impressive population, very smart, even with the limits on international mm -hmm. information that mm -hmm. they have. They are very, very smart. Um, they have a very, very um, uh, smart understanding of the world and how the game, the international game is played. They have far, far more knowledge of our own history relative to Cuba than most Americans have and so forth. So uh, I, I would just, um, I think it's worth saying that, uh, that this is not a closed society. This is not one with uh, secret police lurking around every corner, although there are secret police there, there are secret police here, mm -hmm. uh, lurking around every corner, uh, resting people who might say anything negative about the Cuban revolution or the, or the Cuban government. So I find them very open very informed and absolutely wonderful 
for uh, for 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 people to people communication uh, far more than most countries that I've visited. And you've also said there's no restrictions on photographs. There are no restrictions on photographs. I would never, in uh, hardly any country, try to take a photograph of a military institution myself. Uh, you can learn that pretty quickly uh, in a lot of places, and once you learn it, you know never to do it again. Short of that, and I've never attempted that, but short of that, uh, I, we, I've watched 80 people take pictures of everything. <laughs> so, wow. uh, so it's it's far far more open than the image that we have been raised to to expect mm -hmm. you know another point about this i think that i'm, I'm glad that the international office on campus study abroad office is supporting us and you know in the college of arts and science we have this year of of a country sure, or a region yeah, yeah. which is i think is a one of the major assets that mark cornblue has brought to the university of kentucky and i can envision a couple of years maybe we'll just have a year of cuba that's a fantastic idea. Where we could have professors come from there, here, and it could study music or dance or political science or political ecology or or literature, whatever it may be. But I think it's that may be something that Peter and I can, can investigate while we're there and see if we can set up something like that with the support of the people here. Um, yeah, I think there have been. I think there – I don't know how many other universities have had – student trips to Cuba in the past four or five years, but I imagine this year they're probably going to be a number of them, and more the next year and the year after that. Mm -hmm. And we're fortunate to have had this already established um, yeah, before this years. news in a way, because um, it, 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 travel agents have been talking about this uh, on the nightly news now for several weeks, that they're inundated with phone calls, people who all of a sudden want to go. And most of them, quite rightly, want to go before Starbucks and McDonald's gets there. And mm. I, certainly I would advocate that. Um, not that I won't return after that happens, but uh, this is an authentic culture. Um, it has not been globalized. It has not been um, demeaned by uh, commercial pressures and, and images and so forth. And there is something absolutely refreshing about a, a culture that uh, that has determined for itself who they are and, and what they stand for and what they represent. And that's a dying uh, breed of cultures in this, in this world. Absolutely. That's pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. Now is the time to, to get there yes. and witness it yeah. while you can. I think you know, we will benefit, the students will benefit, but I also think the Cubans we interact with will also benefit. You know, the mm -hmm. students we talk with, the teachers in elementary schools, the, the political scientists, the university professors, the librarians, the judges, the people who are involved in, in athletics, art, music, um, they're going to benefit too. And I think that they will want to listen to us and talk with us. So I expect while we're there we'll have many interviews similar to this because it would be interesting to see what they ask us. And they may ask us the same questions that you're asking of us. Mm -hmm. see? Sure. But I, so I think we need it's, it's it's really reciprocal. It's not just unidirectional. Right. No, the the web of impact is vast. Yeah. On that note, let's take a short break. We'll come right back to office hours. So I had to wait until the funky saxophone happened before I actually like cut the song off because that was really what I was waiting for. And that was Paulo with La Habana Buena here on WRFL 88.1 Radio Free Lexington. And now let's bring it home here on Office Hours. Welcome back. We're just wrapping up our conversation with Stan Brunn and Peter Barris. Um, during the break, there was a little conversation about Havana 
uh, baseball. What were some of the your favorites of uh, aspects of of um, Cuban culture that you experienced or that you're excited well, to share with a, students? Well, it's a uh, extremely rich culture, and I think the music that's been played here this hour reflects the the richness of the culture. Um, <clears throat> there are many. All musicians are employed. Dancers are oh. employed. Uh, filmmakers are employed. They're, virtually everyone's employed wow. by the government. Uh, and they, uh, we've had a lot of uh, exposure to various artists throughout, uh, particularly Havana. And um, they are very, very happy with where they are. Uh, they feel uh, the freedom to express themselves uh, in ways that they uh, choose. I've uh, sat through a couple of rehearsals for musical dance performances, uh, and they've used Western music for the most part to interpret um, their literature is uh, their literature history is very very rich. Um, so it's uh, and I think it's partly a product of what's happened to them that they've been so insulated that they have just constantly reinvented their own culture, mm -hmm. mixing the indigenous culture that preceded the Spanish, of course, Spanish culture. Uh, and Afro-Cuban culture, um, and they have um, slices of other cultures. There's a, a fairly uh, uh, significant Jewish population. There are some uh, Asian populations, mm -hmm. uh, some French populations, and so on. So uh, it's uh, it's I, I find their their cultural products to be very very inspirational and um, once again authentic. Mm -hmm. There's a, a great deal to learn yet yes. about, mm -hmm. uh, for Americans about Cuba. Um, Peter, in your in your editorial, you said um, we will have to unlearn ingrained mm -hmm. assumptions to see what Cuba can teach, share, and contribute medically and mm -hmm. educationally. What kinds of um, what other assumptions do do Americans have that are ingrained about Cuba? Well, I, I'm not sure there's any uh, any other country in the world where the information that's been provided to Americans has been so limited and so narrow and so ideological. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, there are obvious reasons why that has happened. Um, but we uh, we got locked into a Cold War perspective where, again, the world is divided into two forces, good and okay. evil. And moreover, and more dangerously, the attitude that if you're not on our side, you're against us. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you could have a neutral path, that you could live independently of the Soviet Union or the United States or even think of, of trying to stay independent is simply was not in that framework and unfortunately in regards to Cuba that framework still is the dominant paradigm, the dominant way we think about this. Um, so that that has to be changed. Now I, I, I didn't in the editorial decide, I decided not to talk about the political and economic problems because we're well versed in those. That, that's been the steady diet for 55 years how uh, their political system has failed, this, that, or the other principle, how their economic system has been uh, bankrupt, and so on. And and I thought, you know, it's time to start looking at the positives. And uh, there's no one outside the United States in this world that is not aware of what Cuba has accomplished medically and educationally. And not only within their own country with such limited resources, but their international presence, both educationally and medically, has been superior to any other country's contributions in the last uh, 20, 30 years. Um, their, their medical system ranks right with ours, above ours, in some cases mm -hmm. slightly below ours in other health care indicators like uh, mortality rates and, 
and illnesses and diseases and uh, life expectancies and so forth. And they actually supersede us probably in most of those categories. Um, obviously, they are far, far superior than the medical systems in any other developing country. And as many, many uh, European, uh, Canadian medical uh, people have said, they rival their own countries and surpass their own countries. So that's a story that should have been told. And particularly um, when you talk about people that are deprived in some way, um, we may put free choice and free enterprise and being able to buy a, a McDonald's hamburger at the top of our notion of freedom. But I argue that uh, that basic freedom has to be built upon good health care and good education, and the rest is gravy. So we have denied that reality uh, f uh, of the Cubans uh, within their own country. Secondly, and much more importantly, at least as I will argue in the next year or so, to try to get more Americans to be more empathetic towards the Cubans, those, uh, those successes have, have established them with a very respected international uh, reputation and has hurt ours in a corollary sort of way. So our international reputation has been hurt by many things, in Vietnam and so many other things. Uh, but uh, our treatment of Cuba has really isolated us from most, uh, our friends, our friends, our allies who criticize us and continue to criticize us endlessly for not uh, growing up. Uh, and treating Cuba with some respect. Um, so my, my suspicion is that as soon as we begin to unravel these policies uh, and open up to the Cubans, um, that our international status will increase immediately, um, and our, particularly our position within Central and South America in our backyard, um, which has been horribly eroded by our Cuba policies and the propensity of the United States to support uh, those who oppose um, anything that is labeled communist. So any natural revolution, any legitimate revolution throughout Central and South America over the years has been quickly labeled communist. And when we pile arms and training and encouragement to right-wing dictators to, to crush those movements, um, we will, the vast majority of Central and South America now is, is, is gravitating towards the political left. And we are standing really with very few dictators now. Uh, hopefully, this will allow us to uh, to regain some of our diplomatic uh, uh, influence uh, in in the Western Hemisphere vis-a-vis uh, -vis these other countries. So I think we have everything to gain. Uh, not to mention what the world will gain when we try to uh, take the Cuban models of of literacy campaign and healthcare. Uh, systems and education and extend that to uh, all these other w countries that with, even with the infusion of Western medical um, uh, supplies and training have not even begun to deal with their health care issues. So Cuba has a great deal to contribute to the world and, and the longer we block that, uh, that effort, the, uh, the more isolated and, and less influential we, we remain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I look at this as, a, as, a, as, as another major watershed event in, say, in the past half century. And I can identify a few others that also people who are my generation and even younger than I am will identify. Um, Richard Nixon's recognizing China, and there's also opposition when he made that statement, when he made that visit, mm -hmm. but that was a really an international breakthrough. Um, the end of apartheid in the 1990s in South Africa. Some people still wanted to support apartheid, and some people still do. Um, the fall of the Berlin Wall, 
the end of the Soviet Union as a as a state. Um, and I think maybe Israel and Palestine will get their act together sometime and have another major breakthrough in terms of coming together for peace instead of destroying one another. So I think this is kind of on that same on that on that same dimension, even though uh, Cuba is really almost a mini state. So I think what happens in all of these is is it's it's a case of learning, but also it's a case of relearning, okay, and it's a case of unlearning. And I think going back to the end of the Cold War in Eastern Europe and Central Asia and Russia, that the people that were living after that, the courses they took in economics, political science, geography, made no sense. They made no sense. So they had to bring in outsiders to come and educate different kinds of systems. And, of course, we came in with all kinds of market economics and all kinds of our own policies. But these were welcome because they were an alternative to what was oftentimes considered a closed system. So I think in many cases we will do the same thing with Cuba. But I would hope, as I said earlier, I hope that we would learn from them. Peter's quite right. And Cuba is a, is a major leader, regardless of whether you like Cuba or not. It's a major leader in eradicating illiteracy, in sustainable de- development, in medical care, in emergency relief, um, the, the fine arts. Um, and baseball. <laughs> but I think these are, you know, these are these are real, tangible, but they are indicators of human progress. And saying once we get rid of all this and unlearn, maybe we can do something dif- different. Sarah, I, before we go off yeah, the please. air, uh, I, uh, we're hoping, obviously, that uh, the listeners are, are interested in learning more. And so there are several things coming up in the next couple of weeks where you can learn more about Cuba. Uh, This Friday uh, at noon in the new hospital, Pavilion A Auditorium, Dr. Uh, Keck uh, will be speaking, who has vast, vast experience in Cuba and is an editor of a joint Cuban-American physician journal, which is highly respected, at noon, Pavilion A Auditorium on on the Medical Center campus. Uh, On the 24th of February, there will be a panel discussion, including myself and some others from campus, moderated by Vice uh, Provost Susan Cavalla, uh, sponsored by the international organiz- or international office, uh, talking about Cuba, you know the changes and the history and so forth. Uh, Stan and I will hold a, an information session on February 10th at six o'clock, uh, CB 213, and information should be available on the International Study Abroad uh, website. And then we would also encourage students to attend the uh, Education Abroad Fair, which is on February 5th. Uh, in the W.T. Young uh, lobby, and Stan and I will be there representing uh, the Cuba course as well as other faculty taking students to other parts of the world this summer. Thank you both so much for being here today. Uh, This has been a wonderful conversation with Stan Braun and Peter Barris. Please check out their course, uh, this summer session, study abroad course on Cuba. Um, I've been your host, Sarah Schutze, and here with Boardmaster Brian Connors Make Me. On February 5th uh, in the W.T. Young uh, lobby, and Stan and I will be there representing uh, the Cuba course as well as other faculty taking students to other parts of the world this summer. Thank you both so much for being here today. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation with Stan Braun and Peter Barris. Please check out their course, uh, this summer session, study abroad course on Cuba. Um, I, I've been your host, Sarah Schutze, and here with Boardmaster Brian Connors. On February 5th, uh, 
in the W.T. Young uh, lobby, and Stan and I will be there representing uh, the Cuba course as well as other faculty taking students to other parts of the world this summer. Thank you both so much for being here today. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation with Stan Braun and Peter Barris. Please check out their course, uh, this summer session, study abroad course on Cuba. Um, I, I've been your host, Sarah Schutze, and here with Boardmaster Brian Connors. On February 5th uh, in the W.T. Young uh, lobby, and Stan and I will be there representing uh, the Cuba course as well as other faculty taking students to other parts of the world this summer. Thank you both so much for being here today. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation with Stan Braun and Peter Barris. Please check out their course, uh, this summer session, study abroad course on Cuba. Um, I, I've been your host, Sarah Schutze, and here with Boardmaster Brian Connors. On February 5th uh, in the W.T. Young uh, lobby, and Stan and I will be there representing uh, the Cuba course as well as other faculty taking students to other parts of the world this summer. Thank you both so much for being here today. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation with Stan Braun and Peter Barris. Please check out their course, uh, this summer session, study abroad course on Cuba. Um, I, I've been your host, Sarah Schutze, and here with Boardmaster Brian Connors-Mankey. Excuse me. Thank you for, for tuning in to Office Hours. See you next